The purpose of this activity is to expand the reach of chest content through awareness, critique, and discussion. All articles have undergone peer review for methodological rigor and audience relevance. Any views asserted are those of the speakers and are not endorsed by chest. Listeners should be aware that speakers' opinions may vary and are advised to read the full corresponding journal articles for complete context. This content should not be used as a basis for medical advice or treatment, nor should it substitute the judgment used by clinicians in the practice of evidence-based medicine. Well, hello, and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Gretchen Winter. On behalf of Chest, I would like to welcome you to this Chest Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Gretchen Winter, your Chest podcast moderator. Thank you all for joining us today for our discussion of psychiatric outcomes with ICU family visitation. We are very fortunate today to have Dr. Stefana Moss as our guest. Dr. Moss and her colleagues wrote an article in the Chest Journal. Psychiatric Outcomes in Intensive Care Unit Patients with Family Visitation, a Population-Based Retrospective Cohort Study. Dr. Moss is a PhD epidemiologist with the Calgary Critical Care Research Network, and she recently received a prestigious CIHR Banting Postdoctoral Fellowship Award to pursue her postdoctoral training with Dr. Douglas White at the University of Pittsburgh. And her scholarly contributions have centered on how to best partner with citizens in critical care research. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Moss. Thanks very much for this opportunity. So happy to be here. Well, let's start by discussing why you decided to research this topic. What question were you asking and why? Of course. So we know that including family members in the provision of care improves communication and builds trust. And this is because families know their loved ones the best and they may recognize very subtle changes earlier than healthcare professionals and you know, this is especially when the patient cannot actively participate in discussion. And this is, as we know, very common in the ICU. Lack of family visitation in the ICU can have long-term consequences in ICU patients post-hospital discharge. And this includes problems with accessing support, uh, coping with rehab, poor mental health, and unfortunately, more seriously and costly psychiatric disorders. So, we know that there are gaps or there are gaps in the study of the association of family member visitation on patient outcomes and a limitation of the published work to date is the absence of research formally evaluating the effect of family visitation on the incidence of patient psychiatric disorders. So really this team, this fantastic team, we obtained a large multi-center population-based cohort of critically ill patients that were admitted to ICU and we looked at their outcomes one year post-hospital discharge. And our question that we were looking to answer was, what is the association between family visitation in the ICU and patient post-hospital discharge psychiatric outcomes? Great. So what do we know about prior studies regarding like the prevalence of psychiatric disorders in ICU survivors? 
Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, we know quite a bit and mostly it's not great. Um, as we know, survivors of critical illness are at risk for a cluster of physical, cognitive and psychiatric problems that arise or, or worsen after ICU discharge. And this has really been coined or known as the post-intensive care syndrome or PICS. The prevalence of psychiatric disorders in ICU survivors is very high and this includes uh, depressive disorders that have been estimated um, with a prevalence of, of 32 to just about 40 percent, anxiety disorders around that same range, 20 to 40 percent, um, as well as PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, um, same sort of range, 19 to 30 percent. And we know from, from longitudinal studies that these impacts can last for up to eight years post-hospital discharge Importantly, we also know that the care a patient receives in the ICU can portend their post-hospital health trajectory. So we know that the psychiatric disorder prevalence is is quite high and their care in the ICU potentially impacts that prevalence. So can you please explain your study design for our listeners? Yes, of course. And this is what I think is quite unique about our our study. Um, Because there hasn't been much work on this topic, it's because comparative effectiveness studies really haven't been conducted. Uh, And that's because restricting family visitation in the ICU for some patients, um, obviously, is potentially harmful and not ethical. The COVID-19 pandemic offered us this, this really unique opportunity to describe designated family caregiver perspectives on caring for uh, critically ill patients uh, in the ICU during a a period of heightened distress. So what we did is we employed a a population-based retrospective cohort study of adult patients admitted to one of 14 medical surgical ICUs um, from January 2014 uh, just through May 2017, so quite a long range. And these patients were surviving to hospital discharge with an ICU length of stay um, greater than or equal to three days. And to be eligible for our study, for the purposes of uh, excluding pre-existing psychiatric disorders, these patients needed to have at least five years of administrative health data prior to the time they were admitted to ICU. We also needed them to have one year follow-up data post-hospital discharge. We used an internally validated algorithm that interpreted natural language processing in the health record. Uh, And this uh, algorithm determined patients with or without uh, in-person family visitation during their ICU stay. And for our study, we defined families, both relatives and friends. The primary outcome for this work was uh, incidence of psychiatric disorder. And for this work, we included this as a composite outcome and it included anxiety, depression, trauma, and stressor-related psychotic substance use disorders. Um, And then we also looked at suicide attempts or uh, events of self-harm. We used propensity score modeling uh, included in an inverse probability-weighted logistic regression model, and we calculated average treatment effects that were converted to risk ratios. Great. So what did you actually find regarding the psychiatric outcomes in patients with and without family visitation? Mm -hmm. We found that approximately one-third of critically ill patients, adult patients, were diagnosed with a clinically relevant psychiatric disorder within one year of of hospital discharge. 
And we also found that ever having an in-person family visit in the ICU was associated with decreased risk of incidence of any psychiatric disorder. So that composite outcome that I mentioned earlier uh, in the first one year post-hospital discharge. So what we found is that our findings suggest when examining the long-term impact of one-person family visitation on post-ICU psychiatric disorders, a follow-up time period of one-year post-hospital discharge is likely appropriate to identify incidents of psychiatric disorders, um, which hopefully will inform uh, the development and design of future research studies. And, and we thought that any intervention really um, that could impact the substantial burden of psychiatric disorders in these ICU survivors is potentially relevant to, to many, many patients. Now, in your discussion, um, you talked about the cost of psychiatric disorders, not just for the patients, but even to the healthcare system. Can you please discuss that a little? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as we know, mental health disorders are, are very serious and costly, and, and psychiatric disorders are even more serious and, and more costly. And these are just some of the, the long-term consequences that ICU patients can experience post-hospital discharge after a visit in the, in the ICU. So it's reported that uh, just about 40%, just under, of, of patients admitted to hospital with prevalent psychiatric disorders are readmitted within one year compared to 27% of patients admitted without pre-existing psychiatric disorders. And these excess hospital costs um, attributable to psychiatric disorders have been estimated at um, just over 2,300 euros or just about 3,500 Canadian dollars uh, per stay. Uh, the annual economic cost of mental illness in, in Canada, which is where I'm based, um, which includes costs related to, to health care, productivity lost, and, and reductions in health-related quality of life, is currently estimated at $51 billion Canadian dollars. So the results presented in our paper considered in the context of this economic impact suggest that the long-term burden associated with with lack of family visitation in the ICU is costly to not only the patient, but to the healthcare system uh, on a larger scale. That's a really important point as well. So what are some possible explanations for this lower risk of psychiatric disorders that you found with family visitation? Right. So overall, in-person family visitation, uh, we found it decreased the risk of incident psychiatric disorders. And this really highlighted to us the need for interventions aimed at preventing psychiatric disorders from arising after ICU discharge. And this is especially true for ICU patients without in-person family visitation. So, you know, it's it's possible that engaging family in meaningful in-person visitation um, may provide familiarity and comfort to the ICU patient, and this might in turn reduce their disturbances and distress. So it's um, conceivable to postulate that engaging in-person visitation may be an important component of, of preventive strategies that aim to mitigate the risk of, of these negative patient outcomes. And what were the limitations of your study? Yeah, great question. So as with any study, there were lots. Um, First and most importantly, while our data set uh, permitted control for many relevant covariates, 
um, at the individual patient level through propensity score adjustments. Uh, it was just simply not possible or it's not possible to make inferences about causality based on our study. And, and largely, no randomized control trials on the effect of family visitation have been conducted. And thus, we're, we're really unable to compare our results with how much treatment selection bias was actually mitigated uh, by the propensity score approach. And there also remains a possibility for residual confounding due to limitations in the data set. And truly, this is an inherent risk of, of you know, any observational study. Um, and it's the risk of an unmeasured or, or unknown confounder. So, for example, in our study, there may be other factors associated with risk for mental health disorders that were not uh, included as a variable, for example, uh, socioeconomic status or marital status um, in our study. Another limitation now, for our... Oh, oh go ahead. <laughs> Clearly, there are lots. I just wanted to name them all. <laughs> um, another Another one I think is important to, uh, I think that your your listeners should understand is that the linked data set captured psychiatric disorders serious enough um, to present to healthcare professionals, um, but we didn't capture any psychiatric disorders diagnosed by other health professionals, like for example, psychologists or social workers, um, as these services are paid for out of pocket. Um, and these were not captured in the administrative health databases. So it's actually largely possible that our estimates are potentially underestimated um, as we might not have captured all of the uh, disorders that actually arose post, post-ICU discharge. I'm done now. So in, <laughs> in the context of similar studies that were published in the past, what unique contribution does this work make to the medical literature and our understanding of these critical illness outcomes? Mm-hmm. Well, to the best of our knowledge, this study was the first to report the attributable impact of family visitation on incidents of psychiatric disorders and survivors of, of critical illness. And one unique feature of our investigation, as I've alluded to before, is this very large sample size and our complete data for five years pre-ICU um, at admission and one year duration follow-up. So this allowed us to exclude psychiatric disorders diagnosed within five years prior to ICU um, admission to avoid selection bias due to uh, those inclusion of pre-existing psychiatric disorders. Another uh, super unique feature is how we determined the primary exposure variable that was family visitation in the ICU. Family visitation in our study was operationalized as as physical presence, including, or sorry, excluding telephone calls of family, um, as reported by the bedside nurse in a, a free text progress note in a bedside administrative data system. And to do this, we used an internally validated rule-based algorithm that was developed by interpreting over 2,700 combinations of natural language processing and hyperparameters of individual visitation events and modes of communication and progress notes recorded in electronic form on the health record. So in our study, this rule-based approach helped us to dichotomize patients who received in-person family visitation anytime during their ICU admission. And for us, this was an extremely cost-effective approach in comparison to a costly longitudinal study. So something that future research might consider an important direction for for future research to continue to propel this area of work forward is to consider obtaining family caregivers, unique lifetime identifiers, or unique healthcare number for long-term study of family caregiver 
outcomes using data collected in administrative health databases. So undoubtedly, this would be a massive ethical challenge, but for achieving greater clinical and public health impact, we really do think this is a a key step for moving forward. So how can we utilize your study's findings to actually improve patient outcomes? Like what steps should hospitals be taking based on this data? Yeah, so the golden question, what do we what do we do now with with these results? Well, it's challenging to say as a limitation of the published work to date is is the absence of research formally evaluating the effects of family visitation on ICU patients. So we really don't have any of those comparative effectiveness studies to say yes for sure do this. However, one of the most important things for us to remember here is that family caregivers are important to the care of critically ill patients in the ICU, the hospital, and at home post-hospital discharge. And our paper highlighted the impact of family visitation on, on ICU, in the ICU on long-term ICU patient outcomes. So it, it's really possible, it's likely that family visitation has an impact through transitions in care that extend well beyond the ICU, for example, hospital discharge to home, transitions in the rehab care team, et cetera. And we've also seen uh, in, in other work that we've conducted is that trans- transitions in care interventions that have positive effects on family caregiver psychological outcomes often include providing the family caregiver with specific guidelines for the use of medications at home, especially for medications administered by family caregivers on an an as-needed basis. So it's likely to think that uh, a happy, healthy, mentally well family caregiver would only positively impact the patients that they're caring for after ICU uh, discharge. So really, if we're thinking about the family caregiver's um, their their individual capacity to cope. Um, the importance of family caregiver and post ICU recovery is that there we should focus on their their coping skills as it may be associated with PICS outcomes. So, at the very least, right now, while I can't offer a um, very solid answer on exactly how we should implement these results um, into to current care guidelines, the identification of potentially less resilient or or less coping family caregivers and and thus at-risk family caregivers early on in the critical illness trajectory may in turn help us to improve long-term patient outcomes. Well, Dr. Moss, as we finish up this discussion, can you please give us a closing thought on what you want us to take away from this discussion? Absolutely. So in our study, a small proportion of ICU patients were not visited in person, uh, which begs the question if the attributable risk of this rare exposure is is small. So given that randomly allocating restricted visitation is, is not ethical, really this work that we've conducted is intended for the field to learn from what happens during times of restricted visitation as we've seen through the COVID-19 pandemic or in times of limited resources, rather than to guide policy for uh, quote unquote business as usual. So final take home message from from the work that this team has conducted is that it's expected that any intervention that can impact the substantial burden of psychiatric disorders and survivors of critical illness could potentially be relevant to many, many patients. 
Well, I'd like to thank Dr. Moss for a great discussion and a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Gretchen Winter, and this is a chess podcast. Until next time.